After cult leader John Sunday discovered the journals of Jack the Ripper, his life of sadistic leisure was upended. He was the machinist, and he ruled the one true faith with a benevolently iron fist. He was beloved. He was powerful beyond measure. But after he found those books, new questions about the origins of the one true faith had led him down a twisted rabbit hole. Accompanied by a small cadre of loyal followers, John Sunday set out on a quest to find the final resting place of Jack the Ripper. A quest that brought him to the doorstep of his own greatest creation, Razormouth. John Sunday's path ended at a fissure in the bleached desert earth that led into an infamous cave system, one that crawled with mutated, cannibalistic, subhuman life. What John Sunday needed would only be found deep below, in a whole new world that he had never experienced. Many years ago, a young man named Michael had been John Sunday's best friend. Over a series of months, the machinist had subjected Michael to gruesome body modifications and brutal psychological torture changing the man, Michael, into the monster, Razormouth. Somehow, all these years later, Razormouth now lived down below among the mutants. Inexplicably, he was their ruler. Razormouth warned away intruders with blood and corpses, at the moment, John Sunday had scant resources, only a handful of men, although these men were heavily armed and all willing to kill or die at his word, it wasn't enough manpower to risk an attack. A situation like this with so many variables would require planning, would require cunning. More than anything, it would require information. Carefully, stealthily, John Sunday and his loyal men crept into the fissure and went down into the dark below. This was just a fact-finding mission. He needed to learn as much as he could about these mutant creatures, their strengths and weaknesses, and how the outsider, Razormouth, had become their king. To do this, he would need to capture and interrogate one of those things. The things that slither beneath us. Drinking whiskey in the kitchen and telling scary stories around the fire. Music, monsters, and mayhem. Killers, cannibals, and cults, fearful fiction and furious fact, tall tales, and terrifying truths. This is a scary home companion.
The mutant girl was long and lean. She knew that she wasn't supposed to be this close to the surface, and she was smart enough to know better, but she was also too smart to resist. She'd always been a very curious child. Down below, they don't have the saying, curiosity killed the cat. Most of them have never heard of cats, nonetheless seen one. But her curiosity might get her killed all the same. Men in red robes attacked her. She should have smelt them and heard them coming, but everything got so topsy-turvy near the surface, they got the drop on her. Once the men grabbed her, they held her fast and put a bag over her head. She struggled and fought as best she could, but she was just a 12-year-old kid. A skinny one at that. These men didn't hurt her, but they were quite rough as they dragged her out of the cave and into the bright moonlight. That's why the girl had come up here in the first place, because of the moon. The moon was so goddamn beautiful she could hardly stand it. She certainly couldn't resist it. The bag was pulled off her head. A surface man was kneeling in front of her, on the ground right at her level. The hands didn't let her go. They held her tight. Hello, the man said to her. Can you talk? She nodded. English? Do you speak English? Yes. The surface man looked at his red-robed cohorts and smiled. Their grips did not loosen, but the demeanor of the man did. I am very happy to hear that. I want to talk to you to ask you some questions. I want you to answer honestly. If you can do that, I will let you go back to whatever you people call a home. Do you understand? Yes, she said. As scared as she was, she kept getting distracted by the hazy baby blue moon hanging low in the sky, close enough to touch. When she pulled her eyes earthward, she saw the surface man carefully unrolling a leather bundle on the sand in front of her. It was full of of knives, two dozen knives arranged neatly in little pockets from smallest to largest. If you do not answer me honestly, there will be consequences. I can cut you ten thousand and one times before you die. To be perfectly candid with you, because... I want our relationship to be based on mutual honesty and respect. I would genuinely enjoy hearing you beg for mercy. I find it to be the most beautiful poetry in the world. But I am a man of my word in both directions. So what happens next is entirely up to you. Her eyes drifted up to the moon 
begging for escape. Even if the hands were to release her now, the paralyzing panic that had settled over her would have kept her from running. She was almost too scared to breathe. The service man said, Will you be honest with me? Yes, she whispered. Good. It's okay. My men will let you go, and you won't move, will you? I can see that you're understanding me. I can see that you respect me and that you won't try to run. Will you? No. The hands released her. The girl crumbled to the ground, but stayed upright, eye to eye with the surface man. My name is John Sunday. What do your people call you? She forced herself to take a deep breath. She looked to the moon for strength, and then she answered truthfully. My name is Lefty. John Sunday arched his eyebrow. Lefty? That strikes me as an unusual name for someone like you. The girl explained how she had been the runt of the litter, smallest of sixteen siblings. It was the custom of her people to give the smallest child the fiercest name. And to her people, there was no fiercer name than Lefty. It meant destroyer. It meant devil. John Sunday sat cross-legged before her, mirroring the girl to try and put her at ease. He was impressed, to say the very least, about how well she spoke. This child, if he would stoop so low as to call her a child had overly large eyes. They took up an inordinate amount of space in her face, like those creepy old Margaret Keene paintings. She was rail thin, not by deficiency or malnutrition, but by natural selection. Her long and slender limbs were perfectly adapted for slipping through tight places. Her Long, extended fingers and toes had an extra joint for better grip on rocky surfaces. Lefty was every inch a creature evolved for cave-dwelling. And yet, she was no mere creature. She wore a burlap peasant dress to cover her nudity, 
Although her hair was scraggly and thin, it seemed to have recently been combed, and her vocabulary was nothing short of impressive. John Sunday handed her a bottle of water and then asked her more questions. Tell me about your people. Do you know where you come from? A little, she said. I've only been learning the stories of late. Do you want to know about the Old Test? I don't know that much about the Old Test. See, for us, there's the Old Test and the New Test. Please, do go on, John Sunday said, smirking, but not bothering to correct her. So, the New Test we know is true. It's recent history. The Old Test is from the way before times. And I don't even know how much of it that I believe. That's okay. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not, John Sunday said. Just tell me what they told you about the Old Test. Okay, well, we don't know much about the deep down. It was there before we came for a long time. Maybe before there were even surface people. And then a preacher named Jack came. Jack and his people went down deeper and deeper. And they found other things that were already living here. These things took Jack into the deep down. They showed him the body of the snake god. It's been dead and buried for No one knows how long, longer than people been alive on the surface or down here, they say. Jack and his people, they laid down with the things that lived here. They had scores of children together, and the children had children together. After that, more people started coming down from the surface. They were fleeing the bombs. And that was when the town started. The surface people just coming down and the down below people just coming up. They met and they started it together. And that's where we come from. Hmm. Tell me more about this preacher, Jack, John Sunday prodded. I don't know much more than what I said, Lefty answered. We ain't talked about him much in school. Excuse me. Excuse me. School? Oh, yeah. School. Real new. I'm in the first class they ever had. We never had a school before. War Council says it's what King Razormouth wants. And she got this dreamy look in her eyes. John Sunday's face remained placid. But his eyes were stormy. King Razormouth. Hmm. Continue the story.
Lefty continued. After a bunch of years, the town got really big. Too big. And see, the way that it worked is we had always fed the scraps to the old things in the deep down. That's the way it worked. So long as we kept them fed, they never had a need to come closer to the surface or closer to us. But once we had so many people, there weren't no more scraps. I mean, there weren't even enough for us. So the things started coming closer and they started taking some of us down there with them. No one who disappeared ever came back. After a lot of us were gone, too many of us, we decided we had to do something we didn't want to do. It's really bad, mister. It's shameful. But we started sending people up to the surface to take food. And when there wasn't no food, they would take surface people to use as food. And that worked for a lot of years before the Droman came. Excuse me, John Sunday interrupted. The Droman? Yeah, Droman. They're soldiers from the surface sent by something called the Dro. These soldiers, they attacked us and they killed a lot of innocent people. And we got them back. We got them good. We killed almost every single one of them, except for Lefty. There was one of them called Lefty, and she wouldn't die. She was a Demon, she kept going down deeper and deeper, and even the monsters down there couldn't kill her. She blew up half the tunnels and killed a bunch more of us. After that, it was a dark time for our people. Most of the survivors left the town, too afraid that the Droman would come back. Our people were scattered all over from Churchyard trenched, tangled knot. Few families even moved up to the sunshine tree, hoping that it was too close to the surface for those things to get them. Because now they were trying. The monsters the lefty didn't kill, they were angry, and some of them were hurt, and they were all hungry. They kept coming up closer and closer. Take us away to eat. At the same time, the Droman were still coming closer from above. The Droman, they wanted to take us away too, but not for food, just for fun. If they had enough time, they would have gotten us all. But then, our Savior arrived, the King. Of course, he wasn't the King then. He had war council with him, but she wasn't war council then either. Razor Mouth was an outcast to his own people, savage to the surface world. At the time, he was just a bodyguard. Can you believe it? The king used to serve the war council. I don't even know if that part's true. Teacher says it is, but I don't know. Lefty got distracted by the moon. 
Her eyes swam with it. What did Razormouth do next? John Sunday prodded. We took the war council to the midwives by the waterfall on account of her baby. And then he went into the deep down. And he was all alone at the start when he went into the darkness. Razormouth was a monster slayer. The old scary things fell before him. No matter how big, no matter how many mouths or claws it had, Razor Mouth killed them all. Along the way, he saved a lot of our people. And anyone who was strong enough, they joined him. Razor Mouth is what teacher calls an apex predator. He found all the bad things in the deep down and he ripped them to itty-bitty little pieces. And he kept going down deeper and deeper, killing them all until he found the great bone chamber. Teacher says he used to be the body of the snake god. Now it was just a 50-foot wide cavern in the rock, a tunnel down the middle of a skeleton. Razormouth had near a hundred people with him, and everyone bore witness to it. It's true, mister, it's true. Some of them people even wrote it down, and as soon as I learn to read, I'm going to read all of them myself. They said the skeleton tunnel was so long, they couldn't find the end of it in either direction. But then they found something else, a smaller snake skeleton. This one was 500 paces long, they said. It's a baby that died inside the snake god. Razormouth snapped off the skull of the baby snake and pulled out the fangs. He used the pieces to make his crown. Razormouth was no servant. He was a warrior king. He couldn't talk, but he didn't have to. These most loyal of his followers bowed down before him. Men and women, old and young, it didn't matter. They all pledged their lives to him. They begged to be marked so that they could show their What's it called? What's it called? Fealty. King Razormouth used his killing claws to gently cut each of their faces, just like this. And Lefty ran a long finger down the side of her own face and onto her neck. He didn't hurt nobody. He didn't kill nobody. Because the king loved his people. It was just to mark them, the scarred knights, his bravest warriors. After that, the king and war council moved back to the town, and everyone was welcome there now. But it wasn't for nothing. If you served the king, you had to follow his orders. But here's why he's the best, mister. Here's why he's the best. 
There weren't no more raids on the surface. No more bloodshed at all. Because the king doesn't rule with force. He punishes our enemies with force. But he leaves innocent people alone. Surface people too. They sent out delegations to every little pocket of us that still survived out there. All the families that ran off. Churchyard Trench, Tangled Knot, Sunshine Tree, the Undernest, all the outposts right under the surface. Everyone was invited to come back. Invited to live in the town and serve under the protection of the king. After the town was strong, after our people had all been united, King Razormouth and War Council, they struck back at the Droman. John Sunday was very well connected, and thusly was aware there had been a horrific calamity at a DRO facility, one they called the Massacre at Blacksite 1. But until now, he knew none of the details. Details Lefty was more than happy to share. This is my favorite part of the story. The Glorious Day, it's called. Our army took their prison. It was a place they took many of our people. They experimented on them. They did horrible things to them. The dronemen didn't leave any of us alive. So we showed them no mercy. We killed them. We took their prison, their land. We told the whole world that this was ours now. In his wisdom, the king decided to let three of them live. First, he selected their mightiest warrior to become one of his scarred knights. He could show us how to fight the other dromen. Next, the king spared their healer because he thought that the healer could help our people. And then... There was the leader of the Droman. This woman, she took the king's baby away from him a long time ago. Because of that, the king decided that death would be too merciful for her. So he cut off her arms and her legs and made her his servant. John Sunday stifled a laugh. 
That that would be Dr. Ivy Williams, I presume. Lefty shrugged. That sounds right. We just call her Backpack. See, the king likes to keep her around, so she rides on a... Yes, yes. I get it. And he could no longer stifle his laughter. The sharp, ugly notes of joyful noise bounced off the bloody stones and jagged cliffs. All of John Sunday's loyal men tensed up at the sound. My goodness, Michael. What a wondrous thing have I made, he said to himself. Lefty continued. Since the glorious day, there's been a lot of changes. The king has big ideas about helping us. Like I said, he even started a school. That's how I know so much. John Sunday got to his feet. He stood tall, a long shadow between Lefty and the moon. I'm very impressed with your story, Lefty. I commend you. You seem very intelligent for your kind. Now, I need you to send a message to your people for me. He looked at his men, and they fell upon the poor girl, putting her face down in the sand and stone, stretching her taut, holding her tight. John Sunday selected a scalpel from his roll of knives. He knelt down beside Lefty. He lifted the back of her burlap dress, pulling it up over her shoulders. Then he ran his fingertips up and down her spine, feeling the slightly scaly texture of her skin. Tell me the message, she cried. Tell me, I'll I'll say whatever you want. I just can't trust you with something so valuable. I need to write it down so that nothing can be mistranslated. He started to cut into her back. Little shallow cuts, neat and precise, yet still very painful for Lefty. Your king cannot protect you. He is but a servant in my kingdom. As are you all. Tremble before me and submit. Lefty's handmade burlap dress was stripped from her in one final indignation. Before she was allowed to crawl, 
like an animal, back into the caves. She passed out several times from pain and from blood loss, and it took hours before she was deep enough for one of the security patrols to find her. They took her right to the midwives by the waterfall, who now oversaw a makeshift hospital where the healer from above saw patients. Lefty was delicately carried to the healer, and then the king was notified. By the time King Razormouth arrived, accompanied by several of his scarred knights, a large throng of townspeople had gathered around the mouth of the cavern. Word was spreading like wildfire about an attack from the surface. The healer tended to the cuts on Lefty's back and read the words aloud to the king. Razormouth paced the room. Then he ripped down the curtains in a rage, revealing the bloodied back of Lefty to the gathered mob, and they were as incensed as he was. Two of the scarred knights helped Lefty to her feet. She couldn't stand upright, not on her own power, so they held her, gently, as the king got on his knees before the child. He placed one of his needle claws into the palm of her hand and raised it to his own face. Slowly, he pulled the tip of the claw down his skin to the top of his neck. The crowd watched on silently as the girl seemed to mark him as he had marked his knights. He didn't say anything. He didn't have to. He was showing them. Even though Razormouth was their king, he was their servant. He would not let this attack go unanswered. John Sunday had wanted to send a message. Instead, he started a new chapter in the saga of King Razormouth, one of righteous anger and entitlement, one of warfare and retribution, one of unspeakable carnage and cruelty, one of finality. The machinist John Sunday and Razormouth Two blood kings, their history entwined. But only one could rule. Only one can live.
Thank you for listening to another episode of A Scary Home Companion. If you'd like to learn more about the mutant cannibals, you need to start with the episode called The Thing in the Basement, which sets the table for a lot of what you just heard. The most recent episode, Two Kings, The Saga of Razormouth and the Machinist, provides a nice little recap of all the other stories that have featured Razormouth and John Sunday over the last three years. You can contact the show through social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and once in a while, I check in with Twitter. You can email us directly at a scary home companion at gmail.com. Or you can go right to the source for all things show-related and sign up for the Patreon. Early releases on all new episodes, bonus episodes, analysis videos, and a whole lot more coming in the new year. The episode was produced and edited by Jeff Davidson and featured the music Someone Who's Dead by Female, Moon by Rassel Fame, Death Whale by Incentive, Sensoul by Ziggo, Raven's Call by Matt Siegel, Crimson, and, as always, Chelsea Oxendine with the theme music.